0: Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people who know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. All right, well, it is good to be here with you this morning. I hope you're doing well. Um, 1965, maybe you remember it, 1965, anyone? All right, yeah, there's a lot of people who remember 1965. Well, in a particular period of time, 1965, at the height of the modern civil rights movement, there was a group of activists. They organized a peaceful protest for voting rights. And the goal was they were going to march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama. Okay, so from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama. And as they're leaving Selma, at the end of the Edmund Pettus Bridge. So to get into Montgomery, they'd have to go over this large bridge. And as soon as they got on the other side of the bridge, they came down. And there they were met by 150 officers, sheriff's deputies and, and, and the like, 150. And there they were met with bullwhips, tear gas, wielding clubs. They were given a two-minute warning to end the protests. In that two-minute warning, many of them knelt down to pray to the Lord, and at that point, the soldiers advanced, or the officers advanced. This event now, historically, is known as Bloody Sunday, many of which were beaten, whipped. One guy, one of the leaders, actually, his, his entire skull was cracked in these events. Terrible moment in our history But I want you to see this. This is what, later down the road, this is what the young man whose skull was cracked, this is what he said. Listen to this. This is really good. He said, never let anyone, any person or any force, dampen, dim, or diminish your light. Release the need to hate, to harbor division, and the enticement of revenge. Release all bitterness. Hold only love, only peace in your heart knowing that the battle of good to overcome evil is already won. Well, that's a great truth. Now, I don't know this man. I, I don't know him. I've never met him. I don't know his story. I don't know if he's religious or not. But here's the one thing that I do know. The one thing that I am certain of is that we will not overcome evil with Evil. We will not overcome evil with evil. That's what Jesus is going to say to us today, is that there is no way on this earth that we will overcome evil by answering evil with evil. Now, many of us do not have people wielding clubs at us. You know, you're not showing up to work with somebody that's got a club in their hand ready to beat you. Maybe some of you go home to that. I don't know. I don't know. Right, But I think it's probably fair to say that most of us in the room— do not have enemies as we would call enemies, right? So the majority of us in the room probably don't have enemies, but here's probably what you do have, and I think we could probably all attest to this, is that in our lives, whether that's at work, whether that's at home, whether that's at school, or wherever it is in your life, there are people who are very difficult to love. Can I get an amen? Amen, Amen. we've got them. We've got them. We've got those difficult people to love. And here's what I think Jesus is going to have us or have to say to us this morning. That our role as Christians is to love difficult people. Not just to love easy people, but also to love difficult people. And all God's people side. Ah. Oh, if you're, thinking, you're probably thinking of that one I know I am. I'm thinking of that one person. Everybody's got that one person who just drives you nuts. And here I am telling you that it's your job, your role as a Christian to love them. And that would be true. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're talking about hard love. It's hard love. This is kind of a, this is a, a hard kind of love that almost always costs you something. And very rarely do you gain anything in return. If you're a businessman or woman, then you would know that that is called a bad investment. It's a terrible investment. And yet, this is why it's hard, and also, this is why it's counter-cultural. It's something that we need in our cancel cancel culture world, probably now more than ever, is we need to learn how do we love difficult, hard people. So, with that being the case, I want you to join me in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be verses 38 through 48 this morning. Matthew 5, verses 38 through 48. If you're willing and able, go ahead and stand. We're going to uh, read God's Word together. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil... But if anyone who slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that... You may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, but he make, for He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect." May God add his, read, his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be, be seated. So in this sermon, Jesus' famous sermon on the mount, he does what he normally does, and he takes something from the law, a command from the law, and what he does is he deepens it. And that's what he does here too, right? He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, he's deepening the law. And in this case, he's got two commands for you this morning, okay? So I've got two commands. I want you to write them down. I think they're really important as we consider how Jesus would have us live in the world but not be of the world. The first command is this Jesus says, Do not retaliate against the one who has wronged you. Do not retaliate against the one who has wronged you. In fact, verse 39, he says, Do not resist the one who is evil. Well, how in the world do I do that? It's pretty tough. Well, thankfully, Jesus has a practical sense. I don't know if you knew that or not, but Jesus is very practical. He's got a practical sense. I want to share some scenarios with you that Jesus offers us on how in the world we can be a people who do not resist the one who has wronged us. Okay, so here's, here, here's scenario number one. Let's just say that you're experiencing in a relationship some form of physical abuse. Here's what Jesus would say to you. Verse 39, he says, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek... Turn to him, the other, also. What Jesus is saying here, the sentiment that Jesus is trying to get through our heads, is that rather than being someone who retaliates, we ought to be people who make peace. Our role, our job as followers of Jesus is to disarm the situation, not instigate the situation. So, just so you know, this is important to know. Jesus is not saying if you're in an abusive relationship that you're to endure. That's not what he's saying here. That's not the sentiment that Jesus is offering us, right? As as, as a matter of fact, if you are in an abusive type situation or relationship, there is a, a, a role for us to seek peace, of course, seek reconciliation. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but what Jesus is saying here, hey, listen, if this is you, if you're in this kind of a relationship don't just endure for the sake of enduring but rather if you need to flee separate that is one way that you can make peace that's one way that you can disarm the situation understanding that evil will not be will, will not be over, or not will not be won by retaliating with evil that's what Jesus' point here now for others that may mean right that you need to engage in the situation it might mean that you need to say hey put it into this we need to stop this point here is we're to disarm the situation. Now here's another scenario. How about being sued or robbed of something that you own? Well, that's a pretty difficult situation. It'd be hard to love somebody that's robbed something from me or stolen something from me. Well, here's what Jesus says in, in verse 40. He says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let, you, let him have your cloak as well. well that's kind of weird. What in the world does that mean? Well, glad you asked. Here, Jesus is referring to this long garment that is a tunic. What you need to know is that your tunic would, would, would fit underneath a larger cloak. Now, that tunic was, was kind of like what we would know as an, an inalienable right. This is mine. I have ownership of this. This is nobody else's. This is purely mine. And so what Jesus is trying to help us see here is that, or rather, what is at stake is that even those things that we regard to, that is our right by law, what Jesus is saying by nature of living in a new kingdom, by nature of us living in a new kingdom, if our rights and the gospel is at stake, if those lie in in balance, the gospel wins out every single time. And so is it a good thing to have rights? Absolutely. We have rights as American citizens, don't we? Absolutely. Should we fight for those rights? Absolutely. But what Jesus is saying here is that if you've placed your faith and your trust in Him, then you no longer belong to this world. But rather, you are a son or daughter of the King in a new kingdom. Now, here's where that plays out for you and for me. Because by nature of that truth that I am no longer a citizen of just this world, I am now a citizen of the kingdom, this kingdom takes precedence over this kingdom. And so while on this kingdom living here we fight for our rights, absolutely, we have to understand that if the gospel is at stake, this over here wins out every single time. The gospel going forth is far greater than my sacrifice of a single right. Jesus says, listen, if they want to take your tunic, give them your cloak as well. Sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. Well, how about that annoying person? right? We all have that annoying person who's constantly begging, asking too much of you. I think about a time when I was in seventh grade, there was this guy who's on my football team, and he wore me out. Oh, this guy, if we were at lunch, hey, Logan, would you get me this? Hey, Logan, would you get me that? Hey, don't forget about it. Hey, would you, would you, would you, would you? I remember doing homework. Every morning in math class, I would show up, and th- this guy would say, hey, Logan, let me have your answers for homework. And here I'm thinking, it was hard enough for me. I'm not gonna give it to you. Right? Every one of us have that one particular person that drives us nuts, always asking more than what we're willing to give. And here's what Jesus would say in verse 41: He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> so if he asks for one dollar, I gotta give him two dollars. Are you serious? So in Roman society, Roman soldiers could literally force a civilian to help him with a given task. It was part of being a Roman citizen and part of that day in culture. If a, if, a, if a soldier said, hey, I need you to do this, you didn't have a choice. You just had to do it. You know, think about Simon of Cyrene. You know, Jesus has just gone through complete torture, right? Beaten, whipped, you know, mocked, all of those things. And then he's charged and commanded to carry his cross all the way to Golgotha. And you can imagine Jesus is is, is as exhausted as, as you can imagine, right? Carrying this big, weighty, heavy cross. And there, falling down on his way to Golgotha, one of the soldiers says, good grief, are we really doing this? And so what does he do? He grabs somebody from the crowd and says, hey, get over here, Simon, Carry this man's cross for him. That's what Jesus has in mind here. What he's referring to is the reality that for us, we are gladly to be quick to help, even if it inconveniences us. And I don't know about you, but I don't like to be inconvenienced. It's a moment of truth. right? I've got a plan. I like to be on time. I don't like anybody inconveniencing me. And yet here Jesus is telling me, if someone asks me to go one mile, I go two miles. Each and every time, we ought to be the people who go the extra mile each and every time, all the time. Now, here's a fourth scenario for you. How about those begging on the street corner? Have you ever wondered, man? Do I give to them? Do I not? Am I helping? Am I hurting? I don't know about you, but I go through that almost every single time I see somebody on the corner who's asking for help or begging for money. I don't know if it's my guilt complex. I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it is, but I just know that each and every time I have this compelling thing. Do I not? Do I? Do I not? Well, what if I, and if I do this, then what happens? Maybe you can relate. And yet here's what Jesus has to say. Verse 42, he says, Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Again, in Roman days, kind of like our day in time, it was not uncommon to be asked for money or food in this particular case, right? It was not uncommon for, for people to be begging on the corner in the near ancient east, any more than it's uncommon for people to be begging and asking for help on our corner. And so Jesus gives us some direction. He tells us that we are to be generous to all who ask. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that we are to be the judge in what they do or what they don't do with what we give. He just simply says, be generous, care for the poor and the marginalized. He says that we are simply to live in obedience to his command to care for all people, even the difficult ones. That's Jesus' directive. Now, I do think that's important that we need to understand exactly what people need most. What people need most is not our money, it's not our food, what people on this earth need most is Christ. Without a doubt, what we all, even in this room, what we need most this morning is Christ. We need more of him. If we already have him, we need more of him. If we don't have him, we need to start there. We need him. That's what people need most. As a matter of fact, if you were to read through the gospel accounts, what you would see is that Jesus was always quick to help the poor and the marginalized. If somebody was begging, what was Jesus doing? Well, he was inconvenienced. He might have been heading to the temple and somebody standing on the corner asking for help, what did Jesus do? Well, he stopped to help. But I want you to notice what Jesus also does. He doesn't just meet their physical need. He meets their spiritual need. Whether that's healing, whether that's a miracle, whatever it may be, Jesus meets them where they are and gives them what they need most, which is Him. Second, we need to understand that we have a responsibility to help the poor and the marginalized. It was not uncommon for Jesus to leave the camp Hebrews chapter 13 tells of Jesus leaving, going outside of the camp for the poor and the marginalized, to care for them, to love them, to make them feel as though they belong. Right? This is the outcasts of society. And yet Jesus, again, would be inconvenienced to go outside of the camp for them. And third, we must understand that helping people means that we truly care for them and not enable them. That is important, right? We want to care for them. We want to care for the symptom or care for the core issues, not just the symptom. We need to be a people who are not enablers, but true helpers. Of this point, Dr. John Perkins, he writes this quote. It's this really great. It's a man who's devoted much of his life in a ministry to working with poor and marginalized. It's from a great book called When Helping Hurts. If you get a chance and you have some time to read, it's a great book. I would encourage you to, to pick that up and read it. But here's what Dr. Perkins says. He says, By focusing on the symptoms rather than on the underlying disease... He says, we are often hurting the very people we are trying to help. I think he's right. I think he's right. Oftentimes we can do that. And so our aim then is to care for the person as a whole, not just their physical needs. But you know what that takes? Sacrifice. It takes inconvenience. And I'll tell you, I'm not sure we're good at it. But I think, based on what Jesus has taught me this week... I think that my time is a whole lot less important than the gospel going forward and people being loved and cared for and seen and known. If we're going to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God, then it's going to take sacrifice and inconvenience. It's going to take sacrifice and inconvenience. So that's, that's command number one. Do not retaliate against those who would wrong you. Number two, here's the second command, is that we're to love and pray for our enemies. Did you hear that? To love and to pray for our enemies. I was thinking about this all week. All week I was thinking about this. Okay, Lord, how do I do this? And then the Lord impressed heavily on my heart and he said, You know, Logan, it's really hard to hate someone you're actively praying for. It's really hard to hate someone that you're actively praying for. And since God convicted me of that, it's my job to convict you of that. Isn't that how that works? It, right? Man, it's true. I think about the difficult people in my life. I think about the ones who drive me the, just about the most bonkers. I can say that I'm working to love them. But what I know in the heart of my hearts is I'm not even praying for them. And how do I expect to overcome that difficulty if I'm not first and foremost praying for them and asking God to change my heart? Well, I can't. It's really hard to hate someone that you're actively praying for. Jesus writes in verse 44, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you're anything like me, you're thinking, well, man, I have the hardest time praying for me and mine. How in the world am I going to pray for these folks that Jesus calls me to pray for, these difficult people? Well, that's what he calls us to do in verse 45. He uses the phrase, so that. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Well, there's a high bar. I'll rephrase this. Put it another way. I want you to hear this. You will never look more like your Father in heaven than when you are praying for those who you would consider as your enemy or those who are persecuting you. You will never look more like your father than when you're praying for those who you would consider your enemy and difficult to love. In fact, I want you to think of Jesus' final moments on the cross, as I mentioned earlier, right? He's gone through a lot. He's been whipped. He's been beaten. He's been tortured. He's been handed this heavy cross for him to carry all the way to his death. I can't even imagine what that must be like. And there Jesus finds himself nailed upon this cross. Hands are nailed to this piece of wood. Feet are nailed to the piece of wood. And with just the last amount of breath that he has in his lungs right before he passes away, what does Jesus say? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. The last moments of Jesus hanging on the cross, he's praying for his enemies the very ones in whom have nailed him to the cross, who have spit on his face, who have mocked him. And so Jesus is not one who would tell us, pray for your enemies as someone with, with no credibility. You maybe have heard the phrase, don't ask somebody to do something that you're unwilling to do yourself. Well, Jesus has done exactly what he is telling us to do this morning. He offers us the perfect example of what it looks like to love difficult people all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross. Now, you may be asking yourself, I hope you are. Okay, Logan, I get that. Thank you. Thanks for the conviction. But how in the world do I do this? Practically speaking, how do we do this? Well, here's how we truly love and pray and care for our enemies, those, those difficult people. Here's how we do it. Verse 45, the text says, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you want to know how we do this, well, first and foremost, we've got to leave the justice up to God. We've got to leave the justice up to God. We are not the judge. We are not the executioner. God does. God is. God is the one who makes the final judgment. He brings justice to all. And so in the case when you've been deeply wronged, here's what Jesus is saying. We may not have all the answers, and we don't, but here's what we do know. What you and I do know is that we are privy to the promise that Jesus, by the nature of his kingship on this earth, will make all things right. He will make all things right. So if you're in the room and you have been deeply wronged, you need not retaliate. And here's the reason why. Because at the end of the day, they're going to get theirs. Jesus is going to make all things right on heaven and on earth, including the person who has wronged you. So we don't need to be people who retaliate because he is going to take care of it for us on our behalf. We need to leave the justice up to God. Number two, number two, how do we love difficult people? We just do it. I know that's profound. We just do it. It's just simple obedience. You know, maybe you recall in the 90s, there was a, a TV commercial that came out. It was all it was a Nike TV commercial, and it, it highlighted all of the, all the athletes that were kind of the greatest of that time at, at that point in history. And, and the whole point was just do it. It was to inspire us just to get the job done. You know, when I was a kid, we had a soccer team, and one of the kind of slogans that we had as a soccer team was, just do it. Just get the job done. Just win one game at a time. I think that's what Jesus is saying here, too. It's because we just have to be a people who just do it. We may not understand it. We may not have all of the answers. We may not even want to. But yet here, Jesus is calling us as Christians, those who are followers of him living in his kingdom, to be people who just love difficult folks. We go the extra mile. And here's the reason why. To love people, love easy people, isn't really love at all, is it? Don't you think about that. If all we do is love the easy people, it doesn't really take much of a sacrifice. It's pretty easy. But to love difficult people Well, that takes sacrifice, that takes effort, that takes intentionality. That is what some would say, true love, true love. You know, if you were to keep reading, Jesus would say that if you love those who love you, if you love those who look like you, act like you, think like you, he offers a great question, he says, what good is that? For anyone can do that. It's easy to love people who are lovable, but we don't get that option, do we? We don't get the option just to love the lovable, but rather Jesus calls us to love even the unlovable. We are to love all people, no matter their interests, their personality, their quirks, all of the things. We are to love people. In fact, for us to love the lovable, I think Jesus would say, even the tax collectors do that. Tax collectors were, quite frankly, they are seen, seen as the scum of the earth. Right? They, would rob, they would rob the, the community to, to, to deepen the pockets of the Roman government and, quite frankly, themselves. I can't think of a, a worse person, and yet Jesus uses that example. He says, even men, even the scum of the earth can love lovable people. So what good is that? Jesus would even go so far as to say that for us to love Those kind of people makes us no different than unbelievers. How are we supposed to be different than the people in this world? Well, if we're not any different. In verse 47, he says, If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, do not even the unbelievers do the same? I think Jesus is simply saying here that when we only love and welcome those who look like us, think like us, believe like us, we are no different than the unbelieving world around us. We're no different than the unbelieving world around us. So then what do we have to offer a hopeless, lost, and dying world if we look just like them? I don't know that we have anything to offer I don't know why they would ever want to be a part of what we're a part of if we can't offer them something deeper, something more meaningful, something more valuable than what they're already doing. Rather, Jesus says in verse 48, he says, that we are to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. See, the demand on our lives is to be people who don't stop at the easy thing but to do the hard things. I don't know if you notice this or not, but Christianity is incredibly tough. If it's hard, it's, if, if, if it's not hard, it's probably because you're not doing it. Christianity is incredibly tough. It's hard, it's filled with hard things, and yet that's the calling on our life. It wasn't easy for Jesus to go to the cross. It's not easy for us to go to the cross daily, as he would call us to do in Luke 19. It's hard. It's incredibly difficult to live a self-sacrificing life every single day. And yet that's the calling on our life. And listen, this is not Jesus just placing on us some kind of perfectionism, but rather it's a philosophy that says, I am to love as I have been loved. That's what Jesus is calling us to He's calling us to a life, a philosophy of life, to say, you know what, I'm going to go across the room, I'm going to go across the street, I'm going to walk across my office complex, I'm going to do whatever it is that I need to do to love as I have been loved. And that leads me to my last and final thing that I want to share with you. If you truly want to experience transformation in this area of your life, if you want to be able to love difficult people, here's the secret sauce, and everybody loves the secret sauce, right? Here's the secret sauce. You ready? You need to understand your situation. If you want to know the secret sauce to how to love difficult people, then you need to know your situation. And here it is. All of this comes full circle when we understand that the one in the text, the very difficult person that Jesus is talking about, it's not someone out there in your office, in your class, in your neighborhood, in your family, when he's talking about the difficult one, he's talking about you. He's talking about me. He's talking about us in this room. I don't know if anybody's told you this or not lately, but you're incredibly hard to love. <laughs> you're incredibly hard to like. I'm incredibly hard. To love. I am incredibly hard to like. I've got a quirky personality. I'm A-type. I'm all the things, right? I drive myself crazy. (laughs) I do. I I do. I, I wear myself out. We are incredibly difficult to love, but the greater truth of all of this is what we're reminded of in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. In Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, Paul reminds us that we are. God's enemies see how all this comes full circle all this comes full circle when we recognize that we are the enemy of God and yet because of Christ Christ comes to this earth he lives a life that you can't live I can't live he dies the death that you and I all in this room deserve so that we could stand in his righteousness Romans 5, 8, while you were at your worst, not at your best, not when you had it all together, but when you were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, that's when he gave his life for you and for me. Do not think so highly of yourself to think that you would not have been in that crowd doing the exact same thing. And do not think too highly of yourself in this room to think that you would not be hiding alongside of Peter, denying him when push came to shove. Because what the Bible I read says, it doesn't matter how strong or how bold or courageous you are, Logan, apart from me and my spirit, you're my enemy. You're my enemy. So were it not for grace. Y'all heard that song? a beautiful song were it not for grace I have no idea where I would be but because of grace I am a child of the king no longer am I an enemy but I have been given a seat at the table I get every, every day every moment of every day I get to dine with the king I get to dine with the king once enemy now son once enemy now daughter I'll share a brief story with you about my life and my struggle with this. For whatever reason, there is a particular couple of people in my life who I struggle with everything in me to love. Everything about them drives me nuts. Everything. Everything. So Jordan and I are standing in my kitchen, and I'm like just frustrated with myself. I'm angry about the fact that I can't seem to figure out how to love these people. And I don't know why. You know, I I try to pray for them. I try to do the things that I think you would need to do to to love them. And yet, for whatever reason, man, I just cannot love them. I just, they drive me nuts. And then Jordan and I are talking, and, and I'm just confessing this. And she goes, you know what, Logan? Maybe it's because you forgot that you're unlovable. And that you're hard to love. And that everything about you are the very things that Christ detests. You're hard-headed, you're stubborn, you know what's right, you've gone your own way. Rather than following him, I've gone my own way thinking that I know better, sound familiar? And it was right there in that moment in the kitchen where I went, oh my gosh, you're right, you're right. And when I realized and was reminded of the gospel message that tells me that even when I was difficult, Christ gave his life for me. And then I looked at my bride, tears in my eyes, and I thought, how then can I not love them? Why in the world would I regard all of their weird things and hold that against them and prevent me from loving them when Christ did not regard me according to my sin and according to my quirks and my weird things? He didn't do that. He didn't do that. As a matter of fact, he came to this earth and he went to the cross because of those weird things. Because I had gone my own way. And it was through that that Christ showed his love for me. And so my challenge for you, my challenge for all of us in this room is understand our situation. If you want to love difficult people, understand the truth that when you were the most unlovable, Christ gave his life for you. And so because of that, how can you not do the same for others? How can you not walk across the room? How can you not befriend that person? I'm not saying that they need to be in your immediate friend group, but I am saying that we need to be the kind of people who are countercultural, who are different, that even though we disagree, even though they may not look like me or act like me or think like me, I can still love them, not because of what they do, but because of who they are. They're people made in the image of God. And God has given His Son's life, even for them, as He has for you. Would you join me in prayer? Well, Father, I love, we love You so grateful for the power that you have to transform us from the inside and out. God, the calling on our lives is to love difficult people and I think we can all attest that that is incredibly difficult to do. And so in the silence and the stillness of this moment, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to simply say, okay God, I'm hearing you. And now it's time for me to respond. And so if you haven't already done so, if you already don't have that person in your mind, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask God to lay that person's name on your heart. Who is it that he wants you to befriend? Who is it that he wants you to go out of your way to be inconvenienced to love, to care, and to support? Who's that one person? Maybe there's two people. I don't know. Maybe you got a bunch. Who are those people that God desires for you to love? And then now I want you to t- I want you to take some time and I want you to say, "Okay, God, what is it that I need to do? What are the things that need to to happen in my life to ensure that I love these people?" great starting point would be to remember your circumstance. Maybe as good as your calendar is, maybe you need to let go of that calendar for the sake of being inconvenienced. Maybe it's control or whatever it may be. Relinquish that and say, God, I give you control over my life. If you call me to love even difficult people, I'm willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of your kingdom. Maybe it's a right or something that you feel is yours, your possession. It may be that God's calling you to relinquish that right for the sake of loving someone. And then finally, just simply ask the Lord, okay, Lord, I get it. I hear you. But now empower me to do this. By the power of your spirit, transform my heart. Do whatever you need to do, whatever kind of heart surgery that needs to happen. Do whatever it is that you need to do to change my heart so that I can offer to them what has been offered to me. And that is freedom freedom in Christ. Freedom from sin and shame and guilt, the offer of Christ's righteousness. God, enable me by the power of your spirit to do this. Help me. Help me. So, Father, we come to you this morning recognizing that we cannot do it apart from you. There's no amount of effort, there's no amount of work, there's no matter things that we can do or can't do to, Father, love difficult people. It's hard, and you know it's hard. And so, Father, help us. Give us the power by your Spirit to walk across the room, the office complex, the neighborhood, the living room, wherever it is that we find ourselves. Maybe it's a classroom, and to befriend someone for the sake of your name. God, I pray that we would be different. We'd be countercultural, that we would offer the world again, the freedom that we have been given in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.